For copyright reasons, music played during the program has been excluded from this podcast. Hornsby and Karingai, this is Triple H News Desk with James Elton Pym and Declan Gooch. Good morning and welcome to Triple H News Desk. I'm Declan Gooch. And I'm James Elton Pym. Thank you for joining us. On the program today, the fires in North Epping and West Pimble that threatened Karingai homes last week. And we follow up on the death of cyclist Paulo Froze in South Taramara. What, if anything, can the council do to stop it happening again? Also, Karingai councillors divided over whether St Ives shopping centres offer to run a shuttle bus around the suburb in partnership with the council is community-mindedness or just a grab for more customers. Later in the program, we talk to Gordon Benny, the 81-year-old Thornley resident with a collection of five vintage speed cars that he still races. And the North Taramara Action Group had some big-ticket guests at their AGM, the Premier, the Planning Minister and the Mayor. So is it all show or are the state politicians taking the group seriously? To get in contact, email newsdesk at triplehfm.com.au. That's newsdesk at triplehfm.com.au. You can also like our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash triplehnewsdesk to hear this program again whenever you like. Welcome to the program. Police are looking for a man who approached two girls in Taramara last month. The two 11-year-olds were walking south along Kissing Point Road when a man riding a black bicycle approached them. The girls ran towards Jeffrey Street, where one of them lived. The man followed them. One of the girls' mothers alerted police, who began an investigation. The man police are looking for is described as being Caucasian appearance, about 60 to 70 years old, with a slim build and short white hair. He was last seen wearing a white T-shirt and enclosed shoes. Police advise parents to make sure their children know where the safe places are, like shops, service stations, police stations, libraries or schools. Children should never get in a car with somebody they don't know. If a car pulls up next to them and they do not know the person inside, they should not stop. Parents should tell their children to dial triple zero if they feel scared and can use a phone. And if someone tries to grab them, they should yell, go away, I don't know you. If you have any information about this incident, please call Crime Stoppers on 1-800-333-000. That's 1-800-333-000 to report crime anonymously and help police with their investigation. A huge digger worth nearly $100,000 was taken by thieves from a house in Arcadia last Tuesday or Wednesday. The Nante brand excavator was so big, police believe the robbers would have had to use a large truck and possibly a trailer to steal it. The construction vehicle was not equipped with GPS, so locating it will be a difficult task. Stolen construction equipment is often sold by organised crime groups, with no national system of identification meaning that on-selling is easier. Excavators often have a generic set of keys and a high return for criminals. Equipment theft may cost the construction industry as much as $50 million a year. If you know anything about the theft of the digger, call Crime Stoppers on 1-800-333-000. A new mental health hospital development in Gordon could become a reality despite a petition by local residents concerned about security. The Lawson Clinic on the Pacific Highway plans to demolish two nearby houses to build two new multi-storey buildings containing 65 beds. The clinic currently treats patients suffering from depression and bipolar disorder, but wants to expand treatment to cover anxiety and mood disorders as well. A 98 signature petition started by locals said the development could bring security risks to the area, but the clinic said patients will admit themselves voluntarily and don't pose any risk. Call Lifeline on 13 11 14 if you need help. That's 13 11 14. 
Last Friday, there were a lot of Karingo residents with their eyes firmly planted on the RFS website, watching as two fires, one in North Epping and the other in West Pimble, burned out of control for much of the day, dangerously close to homes. Declan Gooch reports. On Friday, two fires put the hornsby Karingai region on edge. A bushfire burnt out of control in Coombe Place, West Pimble, and a second blaze challenged firefighters in North Epping, near Callistamon Close. The size of a fire in West Pimble was unexpected, as Superintendent Kel McNamara from Fire and Rescue New South Wales explains. Crews were called um, initially um, just to bush light. When they, when they arrived, um, there was a, a significant fire burning um, due to the hot weather and wind uh, and the fuel load on the ground. The fire did spread quite quickly. The situation quickly became very serious. The fire was burning in an area of Lane Cove National Park right behind residential streets. Police closed Coombe Place and the neighbouring Wallalong Crescent while two air crane helicopters dumped water on the fire. The helicopters filled up with water every few minutes from the Macquarie University Lake as students and security watched on. Um, Fortunately, the crews uh, were able to um, get in there and, and with the help of the helicopters, two air cranes arrived on scene. Um, you know, we're, only, we're, we're able to manage to pull, pull the fire up before it um, reached any properties. It was probably 50 metres to, to, towards the backs of the houses there. Um, you know, there, it was a little bit um, scary there for a while, you know, um, with the wind and, the, and, and the, the, the pace of the fire or the speed of the fire. Um, it did get, you know, it did get close to houses, um, but the crews, um, crews from national parks, from fire and rescue, and from rural fire service, um, worked extremely hard and, um, and did a really good job in, in, in ensuring that the, that no, no property was damaged. Both fires are being considered suspicious. It's been investigated by police and by fire investigators. Um, at this stage, it's um, it's undetermined, um, but it seemed um, it seemed strange that we had two fires within um, a short period of each other, both in the National Park. Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll wait and get the clarification as to how the fires actually started, but, you know, um, they have been um, deemed um, suspicious. Superintendent McNamara says homeowners, including those who live within Sydney's boundaries, need to be prepared for the threat of bushfire. There are some steps that residents can take to be safe. Clearing gutters, um, removing you know, stored wood or anything from down the side of the house, having a bushfire survival plan. They are just vital pieces of, of um, information and, and, and work that people need to do to make sure that they're, that they're you know, putting themselves in the best possible way to either avoid a fire or to be safe when one comes. In a fire emergency, call Triple O. Declan Hooch, Triple H News Desk. Your independent voice. News desk on Triple H 100.1 FM. Hornsby State Liberal MP Matt Keane has publicly attacked the sentence handed down to Kieran Loveridge, who punched and killed Thomas Kelly in King's Cross last year. The local member slammed both the manslaughter charge and the four-year sentence, writing that the plea bargain was made, quote, in a secret dark back room of the Director of Public Prosecution's offices. He said the DPP's decision to bring manslaughter charges and not murder was a disgrace. Police from King's Cross arrested a man in Waitara on Friday who they believe was responsible for the theft of a large amount of foreign currency. At about 4.15pm on November the 17th in 2005, a 55-year-old courier was confronted by a man armed with a knife on Bayswater Road in Rushcutters Bay. 
The man demanded the courier hand over a bag containing foreign currency and traveller's checks, and after a brief st struggle, the thief grabbed the bag and escaped. At the end of October last year, this year, police released a computerised likeness of a man they were looking for, and on Friday, detectives finally caught him on Romsey Street, Waitara, after eight years. He was taken to Hornsby Police Station and charged with armed robbery. Detectives thanked the community for contacting police and are still investigating the original robbery. Investigators are asking any further witnesses to contact Crime Stoppers on 1-800-333-000 with information. The Sand Hospital at Warunga has just opened a new education centre which is partly intended to address health worker shortages. The 3,500 square metre building includes an auditorium, simulation centre, library, common room and tutorial and lecture rooms. It will allow the side-by-side -side training of doctors, nurses and other health professionals. The Clinical Education Centre is a partnership between the Sand, Sydney University and Avondale College of Higher Education. It took only 16 months to build. The state government's $10 million contribution will partly go to the training of junior doctors. The state government is considering buying the Culworth Avenue car park in Kalara, the site at the centre of community outrage over Karingai Council's decision to sell it off. The car park is earmarked for sale to, to pay for the council's new headquarters, two buildings down from the existing chambers, along with 19 other current public assets. Council planning staff said they met with a car park developer from Transport for New South Wales, which says a range of criteria will be considered before any decision is made. The car park is next to Kalara Station. The death of cyclist Paulo Froze last week in South Taramara had people looking for answers and ways to stop it happening again. The council has known the spot was dangerous for some time, so what can be done about it now? James Elton Pym finds out more. Two weeks ago today, Paulo Froze of French's Forest died after he fell off his bike on Kissing Point Road in South Taramara and was hit by a car. At the time, many reports focused on the fact that the section of road where the accident occurred had been identified as a black spot in the Kringai Council's 2012 bike plan and was slated for improvements that had not yet been delivered. Elaine Maliki is the Deputy Mayor and Ward Councillor for the Kominara, which includes South Taramara. She was on the Council's first ever bike committee years ago and was on it last year when the bike plan was formulated too. It was a, a dreadful tragedy and I feel so sorry for the family of the um, gentleman who um, was involved. Uh, I tell you, driving up Kissing Point Road and seeing the flowers on the telegraph pole is, um, makes you very upset. I know what that road is like. Um, I've got three sons, one of them uh, was... Uh, had a very serious accident on that section of Kissing Point Road when a, an elderly gentleman pulled in front of him. Two of his friends have been injured, one under a car and another one um, ran into a, a rail and damaged his face quite horribly. It's a, a pretty well-known area. Miss Maliki says the northern part of Kissing Point Road where the accident happened is particularly hard to make safer and has long been an area of concern for the council. It's been done in stages because of the um, shortage of money. And, of course, the most tricky part of the cycleway is this top area, which isn't wide enough to put in a separate cycle lane. So it's long been the subject of a lot of planning and a lot of discussion to find out the best way to deal with it. This has been going on for a very long while, um, we, uh, Kissing Point Road is linked through to Macquarie Park and Macquarie Uni under the M2 by a cycleway and because of that link, the then RTA, the now RMS, were 
um, using Kitson Point Road as one of their major bike routes. Ms Maliki says the nature of the road makes it very easy for cyclists to ride fast and that often creates much higher risk. Look, in my experience, and I've lived here for decades, um, the cyclists ride down the, the road very, very fast. Um, to me, it's an area where people just have to look out for one another. I am aware of a lot of cyclist accidents and I guess they need to publicise through their networks that this is an area to be particularly careful. That said, when you're, you're young, you're tearing down a, a nice, steep, windy road on a bike, you're having a great time, you know. Um, it's very difficult to, um, to get that message across to people that you can be very seriously injured. In last year's bike plan, the north end of Kissing Point Road was one of five sites in the Karingai LGA identified as black spots, areas that were particularly dangerous based on crash data and consultation with the public. In the same document, an on-road bike lane along Kissing Point Road between the Kominara Parkway and Pacific Highway was proposed. The 952-metre lane was predicted to cost a minimum of $15,000 for the basics, right up to $120,000 for a properly painted lane in a different colour with clear signage. I would say the second figure is the more likely, going on the, the amounts that have been paid out in the past. The Kissing Point Road bike lane appears as just one on seven pages of potential upgrades, including some much more ambitious ones like a bike lane along the Kominara Parkway from Kissing Point Road all the way to Ride Road. That's three and a half kilometres and could cost up to half a million dollars. With so many bike lanes on the wish list, the council relies on a 50-50 funding agreement with the roads and maritime services to build them. That means the council can't act until the money comes through from the State Department. This is an area where um, we rely on RMS funding. Um, yeah. We simply haven't got the funds available to do major areas of, um, of cycleway. Elaine Maliki says Mr Froh's death might create some impetus for action on Kissing Point Road, but ultimately the council is powerless without money from the RMS. She also believes the results of the police inquiry into the crash might inform the council's next move. James Elton Pym, Triple H News Desk. Your independent voice, News Desk, on Triple H 100.1 FM. Two gold chains and a gold bracelet were stolen from a home in Clydesdale Place, Pimble, a few weeks ago. The theft took place between October 19 and November 2, but homeowners aren't sure when the items were taken or how. A number of tradespeople had been inside the house throughout the period. Police advise homeowners who have others inside their home for work that is being carried out or even during home inspections to supervise bedrooms or lock away valuable items. If you have any information about the theft, call Crime Stoppers on 1800 000. And we'll bring you some music now. Coming right up after this break, we'll bring you our interview with the speed racing 81-year-old... Speed car racing, sorry. Speed car racing 81-year-old Gordon Benny. What do they like to drive? Anson Ives Ward, Karingai councillors disagree on the merits of a shopping centre shuttle bus. And remember, you can email us at newsdesk <laughs> at triplehfm.com.au. That's newsdesk at triplehfm.com.au. Like us on Facebook to hear this show and any separate segments whenever you like, as well as photos, updates and more. Facebook.com forward slash triplehnewsdesk. Now here's Sweet Talking Woman by Electric Light Orchestra.
St Ives Shopping Centre has made the council an offer. They want to partner in running a shuttle bus to collect locals and drop them off at the shops, and they're willing to commit cash. But is it all too good to be true? Declan Gooch reports. A proposal for a shuttle bus service to the St Ives Shopping Centre sounds good on paper, but it's the potential cost to Karingai Council that saw opposition to the plan in the council chambers. St Ives Ward Councillor David Ossip voiced his support for a suggestion by the shopping centre for a partnership with Karingai to run the bus service, paid for at least partly by the centre. That, that central precinct in St Ives has become extremely congested, which is making increasingly hard for residents to actually shop at the precinct. Now, the shopping centre came to council and they said, look, uh, we have commercial interests in bringing more customers um, to the site and to alleviate um, some of the parking problems. Some shoppers who can't find a spot in the centre-run car park spill over into nearby council car parks. Councillor Ossip sees the potential for expansion of the service down the track. Hopefully in the future, um, this shuttle bus service will be expanded. It will go to other parts of Pimble, and it could go to Gordon Station eventually. Um, certainly, reports going back to council. We're looking to see whether uh, we can incorporate nursing homes and other such institutions within existing routes. But fellow St Ives Ward councillor Christiane Berlioz doesn't see it the same way. In particular, she's worried about the potential for the shopping centre to pull its funding, leaving the council with a popular service they can't afford to run. As I stated on the floor of council, the experience of other councils, and I, I did my homework ringing around because it seems like a good idea, but what I found out is that councils such as at Top Ride and Balgala, Manly, um, with Balgala, um, they have, once the shopping centres finish redeveloping in those areas, and let's face it, that's what St Ives Shopping Centre is planning, and Councillor Ossop knows this, the centres withdraw their sponsorship and the councils end up putting the bill for a service that residents expect to continue. And Councillor Berlioz isn't sold on the benefits to council in the first place. Why should ratepayers of Karingai contribute tens of thousands of dollars to a bus service that bring staff and customers to the St Ives shopping centre? In the Mossman council area, the Mossman Rider free shuttle service became too expensive to run. So council introduced a charity box at the door to gauge its value to the community. There was strong community support to continue the bus service there, but little idea about how it could be funded. Councillor Ossip says he doesn't see the council being left to run the service on its own. Look, that's certainly not envisaged. And the shopping centre has clear commercial interest in setting up the shuttle bus service as it's currently proposed. Uh, council should leverage those commercial interests for the benefit of the community and should enter into partnership agreement um, through the shuttle bus service. The shopping centre is planning redevelopment, which provides an opportunity to fix infrastructure problems, and that could make the bus service redundant. Redevelopment of the shopping centre is an excellent opportunity for them to re-look at, you know, re-examine their current um, or their, their future um, proposal and to provide adequate car parking at the moment they are actually short on car parking and they've always benefited free of charge of the council car parking around it. If the shopping centre decides to retract funding at any time in the future, then it would come before council and council would have to decide whether or not it's a worthy initiative um, to put public funding into. But certainly in its current form, um, the possibility of public funding isn't even envisaged. Council is waiting on a report into the idea.
Declan Gooch, Triple H News Desk. The best local news on radio. Triple H News Desk with James Elton Pym and Declan Gooch. Speed cars are low-tech, low-lying, solid metal machines designed for one thing and one thing only, racing around a track as fast as possible. Gordon Benny has five vintage speed cars that he still races at 81 years of age. Declan Gooch spoke to Mr Benny earlier in the week. Gordon Benny, thanks very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. So how did you end up with all these speed cars in your house, in your garage? <laughs> as usual, by accident. Uh, you don't really go out to get them, but um, I keep having people ring me up and say, hey, there's a good car here, would you like to get it? And you know, in a moment of madness, you buy it. And um, some of them I've had to restore. Uh, some of them have come fully restored. But um, most of the uh, enjoyment I get out of it is the actual restoration and um, uh, tracing the history of the car. Um, that, uh, that can take quite a few years to get to the real history of a car. And um, what, what are speed cars? How would you describe them and what are some of their characteristics? Well, uh, they're a single-seater car and they're an open-wheeler car. Uh, they're designed and uh, created around uh, circular tracks. Um, they don't have clutches. Uh, they uh, only have an in-and-out box and um, the means of starting is with a push car. Um, and uh, they're, uh, they're, the tracks range from uh, small indoor tracks to uh, mile tracks. Um, how, how are they raced? What's the racing like? Well, they're all rolling starts. Um, usually about uh, 20 cars in a feature race. They usually line up in rows of two and um, you have a bit of a parade lap and, uh, and then you're under the starter's orders and they roll around at about, oh, I suppose about... 30, 50 k's in formation and, um, and then let loose from there. And how fast can they, how fast can they travel? Uh, I, I have one car here that lapped Trenton in New Jersey, which is a mile track at 138 miles per hour average speed. So yes, they can they can go fairly fast. They're a bit like sort of uh, souped-up go-karts, if you like. Then, yes, they're a bigger version, you might say, of a of a go-kart. The 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 engines um, range up to the modern-day ones are possibly 350 horsepower. Um, I have one here that I had to detune for vintage work, and that had 328 horsepower and um, I think it weighed just on 800 pounds with fuel in it so they're, they're a pretty, um, uh, pretty potent piece of equipment. You're a speed car driver yourself and you have been for some time. What's, uh, what's your background there? Oh, as a, well, I, I, I graduated, you might say, from motorbikes. I, uh, I, I ran motorbikes for quite a few years and uh, um, wasn't getting enough competition, uh, they didn't have enough meetings and uh, I gradually um, got a speed car and uh, I 
moved on from there. Right. What was the, what was, was it a big change going from motorbikes to speed car racing? What was it like the first time you went out? Uh, yes, it was a big change. Uh, uh, although I, I had it easy because uh, I used to race sidecars at the time and I found it, it wasn't as difficult to change over where solo riders, uh, they have big problems, um, a la Casey Stoner. Uh, it, it, it is where you put a, put a motorbike and where you put one of these things is totally different. Um, what are they like to drive? What, what's the driving experience like? Oh, well, strange as it may seem, in actual fact, it's really not much more different than driving on the road nowadays. You, you, if you're not comfortable and the car isn't comfortable, yes, it, it is difficult. But if the car is right, um, you'd be surprised how how easy it is to drive it, uh, um, but uh, there's, there's a, a fair bit in getting these cars set up correctly. What does that involve? Uh, mainly, mainly tyres, wheel diameters and um, uh, shock absorbers. How much time, how many, how many cars do you have here first of all? Uh, I've got five here. How much time do you spend working on them in, in any week or so? Well, now, now I'm retired, I spend most of the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what I like doing. What, what's, uh, what's some of your most memorable racing experiences? How long have you been racing for? Well, I started in 1948 on bikes and I started with the speed cars in uh, 1958. Um, yeah, I... You know, there's been a lot of, lot of good races and a lot of, a few bad ones, of course, but uh, mainly they've been pretty good. Yeah, what what are some of those particularly memorable, good or bad ones? Oh, funnily enough, luck comes into it. Uh, even though you have to make your own luck, but uh, I, I had a 50 lapper once in Adelaide, and um, the first lap I got tangled. Um, up and the car jumped out of gear and the motor stalled and I managed to start the motor and of course at that stage I'm coming dead last and uh, settled down and um, finally turned around and then um, the last lap I was miles in front and uh, the motor started faltering down the back straight and I thought I didn't know what was wrong. I thought I was running out of fuel and actual fact the fuel pump was failing and wound up winning the race and taking uh, 13 seconds off the track record. Right. But it, and, and then the motor stopped. Uh, so it's, it's really a lot of luck. <laughs> well, what's your most successful race? Oh, <laughs> any race you win is successful <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. Um, uh, you've uh, you've beaten a, a track record at Liverpool, is that right? And what what was that? What oh. was that about? Uh, that 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 was the ten lap record when it was on asphalt, and um, about three weeks later they pulled the asphalt up. So <laughs> I guess I hold that record forever. <laughs> <laughs> um, do do you still do they still get driven? Are you still going out and driving them? You know today. Oh yes, yes, I drove last weekend at Wangaratta and um, 
but uh, in in the vintage um, meetings, we only demonstrate. Uh, we we only have passing on the outside. Um, it's a much more gentlemanly sport than it used to be. There's no uh, no wheel banging or anything like that. If you uh, you you've got to behave yourself. Um, what's what's outline some of the cars that you have here. How old are they, and um, what are their histories, and what's your most what's your most interesting car? Well, uh, the oldest car that I have uh, is about a 1948 um, Offenhauser that uh, Bob Tattersall bought to Australia in 1959-60 season. And um, that was originally built by a gentleman called, well, I call him a gentleman, uh, called uh, Babe Tuffinelli uh, in Chicago. And uh, Mr Tuffinelli... Um, took over from Al Capone oh. when when Al had a holiday at the government's expense, oh. and um, one of his uh, hobbies was building race cars and um, sponsoring drivers, and uh, right. so that that car is now in the uh, Bathurst Racing Museum. And um, how did uh, how, how do you find out about the histories of these cars? How do you know where they've come from? Well, that, that's possibly one of the most difficult things. We we only found out that it was a Tuffinelli car last year. Uh, it was always shrouded in mystery up until 1958. And uh, a friend of mine in, uh, uh, in America in Pennsylvania saw a photo of it and said, hey, that's a Tuffinelli car. He said, I've got one, here it is, you know, and he took me and showed me, and, uh, and um, yes, he agreed that it had to be a Tuffinelli car. Out there on the track, what, what are some of the things that can go wrong? What do you have to be concentrating on? Oh, well, you're just concentrating on sort of surviving and um, looking, for, looking for openings and... Um, uh, you try and forget about anything with the car going wrong. Uh, you just concentrate on what, what's, a, what's in front of you and, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> wherever the gaps are. Uh, you, you've got to drive through gaps, not drive through cars. What, uh, what, ha there are no speedometers or there are no instruments on any of these vehicles. How do you know how you're going or how fast you're going or kind of where you are in the race at any particular time? Oh well, you, you you can feel you can feel how hard you're pushing the accelerator and uh, how how much wheel spin you're getting. Um, you obviously can't get too much, um, otherwise you uh, it's a little bit like a car doing a donut. Uh, you don't go ahead. You you've got to you've got to get just the just the right traction, and the car will actually move ahead. If you get too much, it starts slow slowing up. So a lot of the time you're possibly only on three quarters throttle and, and just gradually feeding it a little bit more, a little bit more. And, um, uh, but, uh, I, you know, the, the tr each track is different. Some are very bumpy, some are smooth, some are slippery, uh, some are very tacky. Uh, one of my cars is, is very, is a very light car and, if it gets on a tacky track, 
the front keeps coming off the ground all the time and uh, so you, you've, you've got to ease back a bit to, to get a bit of steering on it. Um, we're sitting here kind of just next to this, uh, this new room that's been built onto your house. It seems to be an extension of the garage. Can you tell me a bit about what that is and when it was built? Well, <laughs> as I said, I, you know, I had cars everywhere. They, they were, friends were looking after them. I had them in trailers. I had them in um, other, ga other garages and containers. And um, I, I thought as I got on in years, I'd better get them all in one place and to get myself a little bit more organised. So um, last year I, I decided I'd uh, build this and... What, what was it? It looks like it would have been a pretty difficult bit. You kind of excavated into the rock under your house, is that right? How has this been constructed? Oh, in the, in the normal manner, you know, we, we, we got an excavator in and um, dug the rock out. Um, just the way you'd normally do it. Um, I'm not a builder. I, I had a couple of mates that were builders and uh, we um, we just got stuck into it and Six months later, we had it finished. Um, what's the what's the future of speed car racing? Do you think there's just as much interest in it from the current generation as there was when you were growing up and um, doing it in, in the 40s and the 50s? Well, I, th I think the interest has dropped off a little bit, um, mainly because with any sport that's on nowadays, there's a lot of competition um, with, with other sports. But... Um, Back in the 60s, I would say, was the heyday. Uh, it was not unusual to get 30,000 plus at the showground on a Saturday night. Um, uh, but uh, you've got to remember that uh, there wasn't a lot of opposition in there. You know, there were no pop concerts. There was, um, there was no um, uh, night football or anything like that. So w we, we had the entertainment side to ourselves one would say and you're going to be having some of your cars are going to be at the triple h motor show later this month which what's going to be on show there i'm going to take the number four offenhauser um which again was a car a gentleman rang me up from the america and said look he said you might be interested in this car um would you like to you know have a bid for it and uh, the family the gentleman had died that owned it and the family said get rid of the cars well he had a thousand cars in his collection and a big museum um, he had 26 Jusenbergs and um, uh, I, I put a bid in and got it I, I didn't uh, I, I never went over and looked at it I, I just got it and uh, uh, believe it or not we traced the history up. The gentleman that uh, the original driver drove here in Sydney. I raced against him um, back in 67, uh, 68, I think. And um, I went over and had, had dinner with the original owner and um, spoke to the old driver again after all those years. And uh, we, we put together the full history of it. Gordon Benny, thanks for your time. Thank you for having me. Triple H News Desk with James Elton Pym and Declan Gooch.
Declan Gooch speaking to Thornley resident Gordon Benny there. And as mentioned in that interview, if you want to see Gordon Benny with some of his speed cars, uh, you should come along to the Triple H Motor Show, which is going to be on uh, this weekend. See our website for more details on that. We'll be back right after some more music. Stay tuned because coming up we hear about a local activist group's meeting that was crashed by some big-name guests, including the Premier. This is Living in America by James Brown. The North Taramara Action Group is one of the most active and prolific residence groups on the North Shore and it seems to be paying off. Their recent AGM was attended by the Premier and other state and local politicians, giving them a chance to voice their concerns straight to the highest authority. James Elton Pym reports. The North Taramara Action Group was one of the many local activist groups around the state involved in the Hazard Tape campaign, a movement that saw cars plastered in hazard tape to protest new planning laws introduced in the White Paper by Planning Minister Brad Hazard. So it might have looked like a case of keeping friends close and enemies closer when Mr Hazard was a guest at the North Taramara Action Group's recent annual general meeting. He was joined by the Premier Barry O'Farrell, the Karingai Mayor Jennifer Anderson and a couple of bureaucrats from the planning department. Residents were given the chance to ask questions about the new laws. The group's Chris Russell says differences were put aside and progress was made. Um, well, no, not eye to eye with Brad Hazard, but I think we, we, have, um, we certainly have, have had disagreements with uh, Andrew F. Shorgi, with Frank Sartor and with Craig Knoll. But in all cases, we were able to convince them to actually um, adjust the, the rules to account for the higher bushfire risk that we have in North Taramara. One of the group's main concerns is population growth, with the white paper foreshadowing significant development in Karingai over the coming years to keep up with Sydney's booming population. Chris Russell says North Taramara isn't the place. Look, I think um, the response in terms of the population was predictable. I mean, he said that, you know, Sydney is a place which is continuing to get uh, increases in population and, uh, and therefore, you know, almost irreversibly, there's going to be demands for more dwellings uh, all the time. I guess our point is where those dwellings are put. On another issue, though, the group might have cut through. They're concerned about changes to the development application process that would see private certifiers checking applications off against a code rather than thorough community consultation. One of the, the, the grounds that we did push hard was the private certifiers in that um, they, were, they are engaged by the developers rather than by the council. And we raised that as an issue with the minister and the minister said he would relook at that to see if in fact cause there's a clear conflict of interest there in, in my view and in the view of the meeting when you have the, the developer actually engaging the person who's going to say that he's complying. He definitely said he would do that and he also indicated that any certifier that was found to be certifying anything that wasn't compliant would lose his accreditation completely and that non-compliant development would be required to be pulled down. So I think that was encouraging. And there was another issue Mr Russell left the meeting feeling optimistic about. They were concerned some recent plans hadn't adequately taken bushfire risk in North Taramara into consideration. But the whole of North Taramara from Bobbinhead Road north is in fact classified as high evacuation risk. And yet in the new um, sort of zonings that they brought out, they sort of broke North Taramara in half. And the top half was considered to be areas where you couldn't put more vulnerable people, but the bottom half you could. And we said that was inconsistent with that map. And the Premier then in front of us said to the Minister, I, I want you to have a look at that anomaly and make sure we correct that. 
to which the Minister's response was, if the Premier tells me to do something, I do it. Mr Russell says he's wary of how much commitment really comes with those sorts of promises, but also that he generally trusts Barry O'Farrell. Uh, look, I think to a certain degree, if they can't answer the question, obviously the way to answer it is to say, we'll look into it. There have been a lot of emails flying to and fro since. My experience with... Um, with the Premier is that he is a man of his word. And there was a bit of flattery the other way too. The Premier himself made the comment that um, in his experience, the NTAG is the most successful and best organised uh, uh, residence group in Karingai. So I think they certainly are aware that we're there. Right now, the North Taramara Action Group is in full swing preparing for the fire season, labelling houses with swimming pools and maintaining its own community fire crews. James Elton Pym, Triple H News Desk. The best local news on radio. Triple H News Desk with James Elton Pym and Declan Gooch. Tools worth $20,000 were stolen out of the back of a parked ute at the end of last week. Between 11am on Friday and 10am on Sunday, a thief or thieves forced the locks on the rear tray of the Ford Ranger, which was parked at the boat ramp at Mooney Mooney. And a home in Graham Close, Barara, was burgled last weekend. The intruder removed a fly screen and opened an unlocked window, then ransacked several rooms. An iPad and three iPad minis were taken, valued at an estimated uh, $2,000. If you have any information about these crimes, call Crime Stoppers on 1-800-333-0000. A North Shore swimming school has found itself embroiled in controversy after forb forbidding very young children from going with their parents into opposite-sex change rooms. Aqua Bliss, which operates schools at Pimble, Normanhurst and Thornlea, put up signs saying that kindergarten-aged children were old enough to shower and change on their own, which they say was in response to two complaints. But the signs have apparently since been removed. Aqua Bliss has sought advice from Swim Australia. Parents said they did not feel that letting their children change unattended was safe. 13 peak hour trains have been cancelled on the North Shoreline over the last year, according to the state opposition. Transport spokeswoman Penny Sharp said that the total number of cancelled services this year was 55, up from 42 the previous year. A spokesperson for Sydney Trains told the North Shore Times that the number of cancelled services has dropped in the last two months. Roads and maritime services will install a set of traffic lights at a black spot intersection in Gordon. The junction of St John's Avenue and Dumeric Street has seen seven crashes involving pedestrians over the last six years. About a thousand pedestrians crossed the highway at that point over 12 hours, according to a recent survey. To solve the issue, lights will be installed at the Pacific Highway and Moree Street intersection. Fifteen parking spaces along the highway will be lost because of the, because of the lights. Fine and sunny today in Hornsby and Karingai after the weekend's rain, building to a top of 26 degrees at about 3pm. Humidity is at 81% and UV levels are very high. The rest of the week should be fine and about mid to low 20s, up until some rain possibly arriving on Sunday and continuing through to Monday. That's all for Triple H News Desk this week. If you missed part of the show or want to hear anything again, the entire episode and individual stories will be accessible via our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Triple H News Desk. Follow us on Twitter, we're at Triple H News Desk. And remember, always feel free to get in touch. We urge you to contact us if there's anything you think we should know. Email newsdesk at triplehfm.com.au. That's newsdesk at triple H, spelt out, T-R-I-P-L-E-H-F-M.com.au. For the next two weeks, I will be away, so our very capable assistant producer, Edward Luca, will be filling in for me. We'll return next week with a slightly shorter than usual program. Thanks for joining us, and we hope you can be with us again next Wednesday from 9am here on Triple H 100.1 FM. Stay tuned for Women's Current Affairs program, Women on the Line. Have a good week, and we'll leave you with Easy Lover by Phil Collins. 
You've been listening to a podcast of Triple H Newsdesk. To get in touch, email us, newsdesk at triplehfm.com.au. We want to hear from you. Be sure to tune in again on air at 100.1 FM or catch up online with podcasts like this. Triple H.